But first, my name's Devin, introduced myself earlier. I'm lucky enough to serve as part of the teaching team with these fine, fine folks, get to learn from them. Every week as we, as we talk about how to communicate who God is, talk about who God is, think about him. Um, so love hearing from all of you, having coffee with anybody, um, because I'm learning all the time. So we are talking about toxic thoughts here for the next three weeks, uh, and as lighthearted as that video at the beginning was, if you've been a parent or if you've been a child who's delivered news like that to somebody, it is, uh, it's those things that haunt us a little bit, right? Where you're like, ah, that's, that's fun, but it's also, it, it hurts me a little bit to hear that I am not your favorite or that I am not loved in just for being who I am, right? So we're going to spend three weeks on a variety of toxic thoughts. And this week is about being loved and why this matters here in church, because this is a thing that everybody's talking about these days, right? And it matters for everyone. And I will lead off by saying, I am not a therapist. If you need professional help, there's all kinds of resources that Pastors Taylor and Stephanie have put together. Um, So if at any point it's like, there's things that will make your life hard to live and that frustrate all of us, and then there are things that make your life dangerous to live. So I'm here to talk about things that make your life hard to live and that we can change, um, but over here, definitely get the help. So disclaimer here at the beginning. But the reason why this matters is because the way we think God thinks about us matters deeply, and it affects how we think about ourselves. So if you've got a version of God that says, well, you're only good if you perform, or you're only good if you're this, or you're only good if you're that— that's a weight that you have to carry with you all your life. And if that's the kind of God that you've met along the way or gotten through pop culture or gotten through whatever upbringing you had, um, that, that'll change who you are to yourself. Um, and that extensive polling there at the beginning, the, we did some at the kitchen table on Thursday night as well. And the response was, I got one child who sits next to me at dinner. So I think it's like the, the closeness effect. I said, Do you, if you had one life preserver, would it be mommy or papa? And I think she, my wife is convinced she does not, she didn't understand the question. She was just saying, papa, because I was the one who was asking. Uh, but we put it to them, who do you like more, mommy or papa? And it was uniformly mommy all the way around. Um, and this is encapsulated, like my early parenthood life uh, was encapsulated in this story where Tristan, our eldest, is like seven, eight months old. My wife was teaching band at the time at CCA. So she goes off for a night for marching band, early season. And this is one of the first times that I'm truly alone with my child. And, and he's old enough to truly get it, right? And so before that, he, she was just gone. And there was like no concept. He would cry. But this time, he really got that she was leaving. And, and then waterworks, sadness, the whole thing for like an extended period of time. It wasn't the whole time that she was gone, but it was a lot of it. And I got this on video, which I'm not going to subject any of us to, but I watch it every once in a while to remind myself things really have gotten better. Um, (laughs) They really, really have. Um, But he's crawling towards me because he can only crawl at this point, and he's sobbing just like buckets of tears, as sad as can be, but he's still crawling towards me because he knows that that's like the only comfort he's going to get, but it's clearly subpar, right? So you're like, you're, no, you're not what I want, but I'm going to come towards you anyway. Uh, so this, this went on for a long time. Um, and that fear of being rejected by somebody, right, is a thing um, that thanks to 
all kinds of studies, and uh, especially this uh, study with our small group that we did, my particular brand of humanity brokenness is that I feel the need to be affirmed for being right and good and doing things the right way. And that very clearly is like, I'm not enough for you, child. That's a thing that I can't fix. I am not mom. I'll never be mom. Um, And maybe you've gotten that from other people, right? Maybe you've gotten that from a parent or some sort of mentor figure or a coach that you really looked up to, and you realized at one point that you just weren't enough the way you were, um, or you had a bad breakup, and you, in like the harshest terms possible, got told, you are not enough for me, you're not the right person, or you've been let go from a job where you had a really hard evaluation, or you came in 27th in whatever sport it was, or the sales numbers that you had, um, or your kids tell you you are in last place for parenting. Um, We haven't quite gotten to that point, but I feel like it's coming at some point. Um, Or the friend who you thought cared about you and you spent all this time with just won't give you the time of day or only reaches out to you when you're there to do something for them. Um, And all of this is to say that you're not special. And that's a message that the world drives home in so, so many ways. Uh, My dad's from Holland. There's even a Dutch saying about this, which is, Do normal, dan ben je raar genoeg which is, without all the is just be normal, that's strange enough. Like, stay at the level of everybody else, you're not special. Like, this is a societal thing, like, baked in. And there's this comic that my dad remembers where it's a bunch of nails in a piece of wood, and there's one nail sticking up a little higher, and it's like society is coming to slam that nail down just to the level of everybody else. And maybe that's how you see God, is that you're not special, that you're the same as everybody else, that you're, um, that if you're following the rules or doing the things or like coming to church or doing whatever you feel like are the things that set you even with the people who are good enough, that that's the kind of God that you uh, believe in. And not the God that you say pretty things about or that is like the happy version of like what you imagine God, like you want God to be, but the version of God that you really believe is out there. And there's this uh, sermon, which the title of this haunts me to this day, is by Jonathan Edwards, who was a great communicator, terrible titleist, and it's uh, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, And I don't know if you've ever felt that way or if you've heard that sort of version of God, um, but that is a toxic spiral that whether or not you know that you've been influenced by that, maybe you've been influenced by that. Maybe you've gotten things from the world that tell you you're not special, you are not important, um, but if you do these things, then you're going to be okay. So that's what I want to spend this week talking about, that spot that we all find ourselves in where we're spiraling down and everything that we do confirms that you're not special or that you're not living up to the expectations that you have of yourself, that this person had of you, that society has of you, that you think God has of you. But God's story is a little different, and as one of my favorite children's Bibles says, the Bible is not, uh, it's not a book about rules or heroes. It's a question of who God has chosen and what God is doing for each of us. Uh, So we're going to walk through kind of at blazing pace all of these very human characters that go along the way and what God has to say about each of them and how that matters 
for us. So we're going to start at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, uh, first characters in the Bible, first humanity. If you look into the etymologies of, of these, it's humanity, and I forget the other one. Pastor Taylor's better at this than I am. Um, but it's like representative of all of us, right? And this is what God had to say about them at the very beginning. So God created mankind in his own image to look like him. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's a pretty affirming thing, right? Here's the whole thing. Go do some stuff. Fill it up with great things. Enjoy yourselves. Um, learn it. Make great things. So he gave them the chance to rule earth in paradise. And they enjoyed it for a while, and then they decided that they wanted to set the rules for themselves, which is the thing we all do, right? We all want to set the rules for ourselves. We all want to decide, like, maybe the, pers- the thing that this other person said was right or wrong. I get to decide what that is. And that did not go well. But even after God cast them out of the garden, if you have been through all of this before, um, God still gave them a blessing and said that he's going to send somebody to crush the head of the serpent or in figurative language to fix the things that were broken. Um, And things didn't go so well. They continue to be broken. Uh, And so we get to Noah. So there's time in between Adam and Eve and Noah, and nobody's doing the right thing. There's war, there's strife, there's like, uh, there's all the worst things you can imagine. But this is what God says about Noah. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And if there's nothing else you walk away with, um, one of the things that I've pulled out of the biblical story over time is that it's not what we do necessarily, a little bit of what we do, uh, but it's not like that we're checking any of the boxes, but he walked faithfully with God. And if you look for that word throughout the biblical story, that he was pursuing God as much as God was pursuing him and just trying. He was not perfect, but he was faithful. Um, That is a differentiating point for all these folks that God chooses along the way as well. Um, And you've heard the story of Noah's flood. Things do not go well for everyone else, but Noah and the rest of the folks who got to ride on his card got to get on on the ark and make it through. And so from Noah, we get to Abraham. And Abraham has this said about him and his family. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And he goes further to say, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So we're starting to see, we're widening out, we're looking at something that's going to affect all of us at some point. And so from Abraham, we go to Israel, and this is what God had to say about the nation of Israel. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. He goes on to say, I will take you as my own people, choosing them, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." doesn't necessarily say anything about what they're doing, but he's saying that he chose them and that he wants them to have a different life. He wants them to be free from oppression and gives them the chance then to follow him. And we get to uh, the nation of Israel and their story over the course of many, many years. We've got David, we've got a bunch of kings. Uh, They followed God for a while and there are all these rules and then things did not go so well. They chose their own way time and time again. 
there was oppression, there was occupation. Um, we get to the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And that's the point where we move from the nation of Israel to Jesus. And this is what God had to say about Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, let me set the stage here. So Jesus was born. He had a cousin who was ministering and talking about the Messiah. And this is something that if you look back in the biblical story, all the books between like David and the thrilling epics of the kings, there's some wisdom books there, but then there's all these prophets with funky names like Isaiah and Zechariah, where you're like, if, you're, if somebody names their kid that, you're like, that's cool, but good luck spelling that for the rest of your life. Um, but all those are pointing towards a Messiah, somebody who is going to fix things, fix the things that are wrong externally, but if you read it really closely, the things internally, the things, the hearts that are broken, the, the unmended lives, the darkness that lurks inside of each of us. And so Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was preaching about this Messiah who was going to come, and then Jesus comes, and John's like, I cannot baptize you because I am not good enough, and Jesus says, you should do it because that's what God asked us to do. So as soon as Jesus was baptized by John, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. So if you're here for the Holy Spirit, this is a moment where the Spirit of God emerges and descends like a dove, which is where we get that imagery, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's a pretty clear moment of being chosen and being set on a path of like, you are okay. Like, you are right exactly as you are. And of course, it's Jesus. We're like, well, none of us are going to measure up to that. But this is what Jesus has to say about us. He ministers, he lives, he teaches, he tells us about who God really is. And we'll go into that a little bit more. There's a lot of reading that is transformative that you can do. But what he says about us, as he's praying at the end of his ministry, before he dies, as he's headed back to heaven, He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. He's talking about his apostles, his disciples. All those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you in me, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I pulled all these little snippets together to give us a clear through line of how the, story, the biblical story leads to you. And that's something that I hope, if you walk away with nothing else, that for today, that Jesus was speaking about us today. And there's all kinds of, um, the question is, who did Jesus choose, right? Was it somebody special? Did you, do you have to check the boxes? Do you have to follow all 600 whatever of the biblical commands back from Leviticus and all those things? Make sure to not get tattoos, make sure to not mix two cloths of the same kind in your clothes, all those things. Um, is it a series of boxes to check? Is it, a, is it happening to be born into a specific clan of people or a specific denomination of the church? Uh, one of my favorite things is when denominations of church say, none of, we can all take communion, but none of the rest of you are going to take communion because you're all just a little bit off. Um, there's a great comic about uh, 
people getting to the pearly gates, and they're like, they get up to God, and he said, your point of, this one point of theology was off, so you're out of here. That is not the story of what Jesus did, who he chose. Here's a list of people that Jesus chose. He chose criminals. He was next to a guy who was dying. We don't know exactly for what, but he was a criminal on a cross. We had done something pretty serious. He He chose and said, you have got it. You understand who I am to Roman centurions who were participants in a pretty oppressive form of government back then. He chose lepers who were dying slowly and were the outcasts of all society. Nobody would touch these people. They were put on islands far away from other people. But he made time to touch them, to bless them, to, to tell them that they were loved by God. He healed them because he could do that too. But even more than that, he said, you are chosen. He loved tax collectors and told them that they were chosen. And if you knew about tax collectors back then, imagine an oppressive form of government and people selling out to that oppressive form of government um, and turning on their countrymen. That was not a popular choice either. And he just, he chose normal, broken people. People who were a mess, like Peter, who was a fisherman, not very well educated at all, who betrayed, who disowned him a number of times, but he still chose Peter, and Peter came back and said, what do I need to do, Jesus? I'm so sorry. And he said, feed my sheep. Go out and do the things that I've asked you to do. So this is us. This is you. You don't have to, there are no prerequisites to being loved by God, to being chosen by him. All of us have been chosen. All of us have that same opportunity to believe in him, to follow him. And a lot of the Apostle Paul's writing, if you read like the back half of the New Testament, he spends a lot of time talking about this because he came out of a system where he was a a Jew and trained in like the special school to understand the Torah and everything um, and was knew that he was special because he had been born a Jew and he was part of the special sect of the Jewish, um, the Jewish population. And his mind is blown. You can tell, like, at points, it's 2,000-year-old writings. You have to do a little bit of translating, right? But you can tell his mind is blown by the fact that anybody has access to God, anybody can talk to God, versus the really hierarchical systems of religion that were out there around them. And he does a really good job of trying to communicate that to the people back then and even today as you're reading those letters. There's no need for a gatekeeper. And if you look at Jesus' parables and you dive into those, and I'd really encourage you to, to reread those maybe this week or in the coming months, to, to look at the parables of Jesus where he's talking about us and he talks about people as lost sheep. And if you know how valuable sheep were back then, it, like sheep are dumb, but they're also valuable. So I don't know if that, what that says about us as human people, <laughs> human beings. Um, but no, but even more importantly, um, he views us as valuable treasures that are lost. And there's, um, he sees us as the long lost son, if you look at the story of the prodigal son. And it's all of us. So take a moment and look around to the people around you. You don't have to stare at anybody, but just take a second and look at the people around you across this room. Imagine the people who are here with us online, all those folks that are chatting in the box, the folks up in Cedar Rapids, um, anybody who follows Jesus, right? We're all chosen. And even if you're not following Jesus, you are chosen. He wants to be close to you. And one of my favorite quotes, one of my favorite authors, I'll quote him here in a little bit, um, Henry Nolan, 
He's a priest, Dutch guy. That makes him better in my estimation. Not really. No. He's a great Jesus follower, great communicator. Um, and what he says is that, is that is the great joy of being chosen, the discovery that others are chosen as well. We're all unique. We're all blessed and broken in our unique sort of ways, but we're all chosen by God. So I'm going to give you four things to do in this coming week, and they're all kind of self-reinforcing, so just pick one of them to do. I, do, I am not an advocate of picking four things to do all at once, but here are some things that you can choose that will help you remember, discover, um, and affirm that you're chosen. So one is unmask the world, and what uh, this is language that I borrowed from Henry now, and the fourth one we'll skip ahead is read Life of the Beloved. It is a spoiler for the things I'll be saying for the next couple of weeks. You can tell me how close to the mark I am, how far off. Would love to have coffee with anybody who wants to talk about these anytime. Um, but unmasking the world is just knowing that the world is out to tell you you're not special, special unless you do X. And uh, this is one of my favorite things out of coming out of marketing class in college, is it makes it really clear that this is exactly what all those ads are trying to do. So when you go watch the Super Bowl tonight, know that they are trying to tell you you are not quite yet chosen, but if you do this thing, then you are chosen. All those sports betting things, like they're trying to get you to turn the corner from you're not quite chosen, but then you do this thing and suddenly you're the king or whatever branding they're using, right? Just remember that, that the world, consciously, unconsciously, doesn't tell you you're chosen. That's something that comes from somewhere else. So that leads to two. Pursue reminders that you are chosen. Read through the biblical story with that lens on. Look for some of those people who are, like, share those unique characteristics of ways that you are kind of a mess. We're all kind of a mess, right? We're people. Um, but there's hope there. And pursue the reminders that God chose normal people, people just like you and me, and transformed the world through them and transformed them. And that's the hope. And then the other one is, you've, maybe you've done a gratitude journal or all those things. Uh, it's very in vogue these days, right? And it matters. And people do this. I just saw somebody at a meeting this week. She had a bracelet that said worthy. We were singing that just a little bit ago. And what... It matters where you get that worthiness from, right? And whether it's something that's built on a thing that you have to do or something that you have to, a box that you have to check every morning or it's something that you actually are given as a gift. Um, choosing that gratitude affirmation, whatever form it takes, like five minutes in the morning, asking for the Holy Spirit to come be with you, asking for God to affirm that you are chosen and to remind you of that, just writing it once a day, having it posted somewhere, it matters. It takes a lot of time, a lot of time. I speak from personal experience. Uh, I go through cycles of negative thoughts myself. Um, had one earlier this week, and it, the, the toxic thoughts rooted a little bit less deeply. Um, it takes a lot of time. You can ask my wife how long it's taken. <laughs> um, but yeah, spend time with one of those things um, and see if it changes your life this next week. And we're going to come back next week because even if you feel chosen, even if you feel like God loves you for who you are, we all know that we're a mess in some way, shape, or form, right? We're all just a little bit broken. And you might feel like you're not going to get out of that ever. I hope you know that that's not the case. But next week, we're going to dive into the why of that and why we're all blessed um, in the way that we are. So I want to leave you with this quote. And that is that you don't have to look for love. 
he's already found you. Um, my wife and I were watching a TV show last night. Uh, we love English period dramas. I don't know if that tells you anything about us. Uh, but there was, it was about um, this woman who's looking for love and like she's like wrecked by self-doubt and like not feeling like she's worthy of anything and somebody's pursuing her and telling her that she is worthy of being loved and she's being, worth being cared about. Um, and she goes to this other woman, she's telling her about this, and she's like, there's no way, like, he doesn't, doesn't matter that he loves me. And this other woman says, it's infinitely better to be uh, loved than to love. It's very strongly stated, but, the, but there was a nugget of truth in there, right? If you feel loved, it transforms who you are. If you know that you're cared about for who you are, and that's what God promises us in the biblical story. So I hope that you can walk away with that this week. Spend some time with it. Affirm that for yourself. Test if it's true. If you don't believe that yet, that's okay. That's great. Um, dive into it. Talk to, talk to one of us. Read some things. Um, wrestle with it because um, it matters. I'm going to pray and close this. The band's going to come up and do a great song to, to end our service. God, being loved really does matter. We all know it at the, the core of us, all the songs say it, all the, I'm sure there'll be a Super Bowl ad tonight. But God, you put that in us. You made us with that desire, that need, that longing to be affirmed for who we are. You tell us that you made us in your image and that there's some unique reflection of who you are, some new, totally new thing that is within us. Um, that's a gift. We don't always remember that. So Lord, help us know that we are loved this week, to sing it over each other, to bless each other, to look at each other not as people, but as eternal beings who are blessed and unique um, and who have a chance to, to become something better every day, that there's hope for all of us. And Lord, if we've been told or if we're being told by the world, by people in our life that we're not enough, that we're not loved, that we're not cared about, be there for us. Fill us with your spirit and transform our lives and our hearts. Help us to move into situations and places and relationships that will be different than that. Lord, if we're stuck in a place where we can't get out of that, Lord, walk with us. Protect us, guide us. There's a great psalm that says you set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And we all have enemies, Lord. So Lord, we know that you're here for us. We're gonna sing it over each other today. We're gonna walk with each other through this next week. But most of all, Lord, you're, you love us. You sent your son to die for us and you sent your spirit to walk with us through life. We want to, we just want to accept that gift this week. In your name we pray, amen.